In a recent article that I have linked here in these show notes, I said this, quote, Our goal is to be steadily morphing into the person of Christ. And then I said the word morph is not referring to an outward appearance of Christ, but taking on the internal qualities of Christ, and that is an essential distinction. Of course, we are to change outwardly. We should be different behaviorally. Our words should be different. Our lives should be different. We should be set apart, which is essentially what the word holiness means. But I wanted to make sure that there was a clear accent mark. So if two things are true, one is primary and then the other is not just secondary, it is, the pri- it is the byproduct of what is primary. The primary thing is that we change internally. And if we have changed internally, then the byproduct of that would be outward change. And that's why I said when we talk about morphing or transforming into Christ, I am not primarily referring to our outward appearance. I am primarily talking about the internal qualities of Christ. Being transformed into Christ is not so much a behavioral exercise as it is an inner change of the soul's primary shaping influences. Those things that have shaped us internally to be who we were before we were regenerated, how our parents shaped us, how Adam shaped us, how the culture shaped us, how academia shaped us, how the entertainment industry has shaped us. There are so many shaping influences, and they have an effect on our internal being. And when we come to Christ, it's it's imperative for us to know that that is the place where we have to change. It is an inside-out operation. And so with that in mind, I received a report from one of our students, our mastermind students. We have an all-online training program, and and students come from everywhere, anywhere, as long as they can access the Internet. And and they take part in this training program, which depending on on their pace, it is self-paced, and so it can be anywhere from from two years to, to four years. Everybody's in a different life situation. But the students do homework. They have different projects and disciplines that they have to do. And, and there's many, many of those from different, different ways of doing it because we're, we're trying to do a, a comprehensive training leadership development program. And, and what we do, the supervisors, is that we look over their work. And so this is actually, this is not done robotically. This is done human to human as we interact with them because we are uh, trying to do customized training to each student because each student is is a unique individual with a unique life that God is working uniquely as he's writing his unique narrative into their lives. And we want to cooperate with what God is doing in the student's life. And so they send, uh, they give us their reports, their projects, and, and we supervise them and we return them. Well, we had a student, I had a student just today, and this is fresh on my mind, and that's why I want to share with you what I shared with him. And he was talking about the fact that when he became a Christian many years ago, the only thing that he knew was to change externally. And he was lamenting that fact. Now, he was doing it humbly. He was not 
he was not sinning, but he was just stating factually that this is all that I knew how to do when I became a believer. And I began to think about what he was saying, and I thought how, well, yeah, that's all any of us know how to do because nobody knows how to I, I don't I think it would be exceptional for a Christian to uh, for a person to step into Christianity and understand the intricacies of of the heart the idolatries of the heart and and really know how to bring that kind of in-depth comprehensive change to their lives and so as he was saying as he was lamenting the fact that all he knew was behavioral modification. I was thinking, yes, and amen, I, I understand that very well. And then I thought, you know, this might be very helpful for our listeners to think about. And so I want you to process this idea that I'm sharing with you today. By the way, this is Rick Thomas, and you're listening to the Life Over Coffee podcast. I, I want you to, to think about this, uh, what I'm sharing with you. And if you want to read, I'm going to put in, I have put in the show notes here, basically the exact thing that I said to my student. And so I more or less just copy and, and pasted it into the show notes like a, a letter uh, that I wrote to him. And I edited it uh, for the show notes, but it's basically the same thing that I gave to him. And you're welcome to read that. I'm going to share it with you in this in this podcast. This is episode 305. And the title of the podcast is, episode 305, It Makes Perfect Sense Why a Person Practices Behavioral Modification. And it really does. And so I want to share several things with you with that idea in mind. And the first one is you can't know what you can't know. You, you just can't. Think about, I assume that virtually all of my listeners are Christians. Think about the day that you were converted. Now, now some of you may, may have been in the church for a long time, and so your level of Christian awareness may be higher than, say, mine was when God regenerated me in 1984. I did not know John 3.16 when God regenerated me, to put it in context, to give you an idea. If you were to quote John 3.16, I, I would not know what that was. And so I had literally, I mean, well, not literally, but virtually, I did watch the Ten Commandments, the movie with Charlton Heston. So I had a little bit of awareness of the Bible, but I had virtually no awareness of the Bible. And and so think about stepping into Christianity from, from that position. I would not know how to change from the inside out. And the only thing that I could do would be as my as my student did, transform outwardly. And whatever transformation that you make that is external and not rooted in the heart, that transformation is not going to endure. It's impossible. Change, life change occurs when our hearts go under the transforming influence of Jesus Christ. And that's why it's so critical that we not only understand this concept about internal change, but we also need to know how to do it. 
But my greater point here is that we need to understand that when a person comes into Christianity, to expect them to make those internal changes may be too much of an ask. It may be a bridge too far, even if they have been in church all of their lives. What if you what if you don't know how to do that as a new believer? And I would say that the overwhelming majority of of new believers do not know how to change internally. Most fresh converts to Christ do not know how to change from the inside, and so what do they do? They do the next best thing. They make exterior modifications to their lives. That is our first impulse. That would be virtually anybody's first impulse, is to change their outward behavior because of the ignorance. And I'm not using ignorance in a, a harsh or unkind way. It is just ignorance. There's things that we don't know. And so what would be your first instinct? What would be your first impulse? Well, for my student, his first impulse is to work with what he knew, work with what he could observe. He could look at himself in the mirror and and see changes that he needed to make. He could examine his life, the places where he goes or some of the habits that he has taken on. I mean, he could observe those things, and and that is the quickest path in his mind to holiness. And maybe I should put holiness in quotation marks because it's not truly holiness. It's an external holiness. But if you don't know what you don't know, you operate under your first impulse, what will you do? You will begin to make these external changes. As new believers, we do not know about the intricacies or the idolatries of the heart. We can't make those connections. We can see what we're doing on the the outside. I can see as a, a new convert that I get angry, as I did. But there's no way that I could draw a line from the words, the lips that rolled off my tongue to the core, the genesis of those words, which was in my heart. There's no way I could do that. Had no idea how to do that. As a matter of fact, I I went through four years of Bible college. I got a degree in theology and got another degree in Christian education and still did not know how to do that. And I was considered a mature believer at that time. I was an immature, mature believer because still the only thing that I knew was how to make these external, external adjustments. And so that is our first impulse. And really what we're doing, you think about it this way, put it in this context. Because all we know at the point of regeneration is our former manner of life. I mean, all you know is everything in your everything that has happened to you. And if you have only been a new believer for half a minute, let's say that, okay, well, let's take me, for example. God regenerated me when I was 25 years old. I have been a believer for half a minute. Well, I have 25 years of a former manner of life. Now, which one do you think will have more control, more sway, more persuasive power over my thinking? It will be my former manner of life because that is all that I know. And that's what I told my student, that it would actually be 
unrealistic to believe that we could process things like a mature Christian. What do we do? We act like we always have, but with a spiritual twist. And so after being a new convert for half a minute, I was sanctified. I was sanctified. I, I talked about God now. I carried a Bible. I read a Bible. I prayed. I told people about Jesus. I did that. But for 25 years, I had a pagan lifestyle. And so that was the dominating presupposition, worldview, shaping influence. And so therefore, it was, that's why I call it a, it, it is a, uh, sanctification with with a twist because it's a it's a quasi sanctified version of our old selves even though we are genuinely born a second time think about that statement genuinely born again but but it is a quasi sanctified version of our old selves because our old former of life is still the dominant force in our lives because again we only have been believers for half a minute. It's what Peter talked about being newborn babes, babes in Christ who who desire the sincere milk of the word out of an authentic desire to change yourself, you can only do it with infantile thinking. As you as you can discern, this is why I was appealing to my student don't beat yourself up. And I don't think he is. I don't, I don't think he was beating himself up. He was just lamenting in, in more of a factual way as he is now learning that this idea of being a Christian is more than external modification, but he did not know. And I am saying, I am making a case for, yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. Why would you know? All you ever knew were your former manner of life, and so you step into Christianity, and you have a, you're truly saved, but it's kind of like a sanctified, sanctified version of your former manner of life. So you work with what you have. And so what do you do? You begin to make external behavioral changes. I remember when I went through this process. I mean, that is the first thing that I did. I mean, I, I stopped cursing, and basically I was just turning over new leaves. I looked at my life. I said, well, you don't want to cuss. You want to have a decent haircut. You want to wear a certain kind of clothes. You want to go to certain places and not go to other places. And so the church building uh, became a, a focal point you know, of my life. And so I began to do, and I got in the choir. I, I joined the AWANA program, which is a kid's ministry. It's an acronym, A-W-A-N-A. But I, I joined that little program and, and became one of the puppet puppeteers. And I went and did evangelism because that's what you do. Those are the things that you can touch, taste, feel, observe, and, and, and you can change yourself into those things. But what was not happening is that I wasn't changing the way that I should change internally. Now, where that really came back and, and bit me big time is when the suffering came in my life. The, the difficulties continued to accumulate. There were relational struggles, you know, with my wife and family. 
there were relational struggles with other people at at the workplace and i didn't have the awareness or the ability the knowledge to know to even realize that a lot of these problems had to do with me and how i reacted and responded and processed things i had no way of understanding what was going on inside me so that i could make those changes and so i continued to i just amped up my external behavioral changes. By the way, this is a quick path to legalism. I mean, this is how this is one of the ways that you become a legalist. You can you can become a legalist out of ignorance. And then the more that you do this, uh, external modification and legalistic thinking and lifestyles, you begin to associate with other people that are like that. And then it becomes self-affirming, and you live in this echo chamber where everybody is living externally, and nobody knows how to identify idols of the heart and and begin to uh, address presuppositional beliefs and and motivations and, and, and to begin to change these presuppositional beliefs and these worldviews according to a, a gospel-centric perspective. Just don't know how to do that. And so then you begin to associate with people who are uh, modifiers behaviorally. And it does become self-affirming. And, and you can be right in your, in your own eyes. But, but you still carry this relational conflict and this internal uh, angst that you have in your soul and relational jousting and, and struggles and tensions that go on in your lives. And at some point, it becomes a breaking point. And that's, that's exactly what happened to me. And of course, my student was sharing a very similar thing, and he ended up a number of years ago losing his wife and and losing his children. And this is a person who uh, was genuinely converted by Christ and and went to Bible college and was on church staff, etc., but not really changed the way that he should be changed internally. The issue with this, and I'm making a case saying, well, first of all, it makes sense. Second of all, don't beat yourself up because all you did is is you've made external changes, but you weren't changed as far as matters of the heart. But you can't stay that way. Ultimately, you can't stay that way. You have to progress past exterior modifications. And there are several ways that that can happen. I mean, maybe somehow, some way, you can you can get a clue. I mean, for example, and this is why I'm doing this podcast. Maybe someone would listen to this podcast and identify with it, and and say, "Yeah, that's me." I mean, internally, I, I'm a mess. Outwardly, I I come across as as a Christian, and and I'm not fake about it. I mean, I genuinely love God, and I genuinely want to live a, a set-apart, holy life. But I, am, I have enough self-awareness to realize that there is a disconnect between the life that I live and what people see and, and what is really going on inside me. I recognize that disconnect. Now, perhaps someone would have that level of self-awareness, that level of humility, and that level of courage to talk about, and what we're talking about is hypocrisy, even, even, even if it's innocent hypocrisy because they haven't made that connection in the past. 
They haven't even thought about this idea of idolatries of the heart. And I am saying that you can be just that innocently ignorant because I did not. I, I loved God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that's why when I lost my family, I was so blooming angry and, and just broken over it because I loved God so much and I could not see how something so devastating could happen to someone who loved God so much. It was a, I had a genuine faith. It was quite authentic but what I did not realize is that I wasn't changing the way that I needed to change internally, and I was complicating my relationships. And so perhaps someone would have that level of self-awareness and humility and courage, and they will say, Rick, you, you're, talking, you're talking to me. You're talking to me. I'm the disconnected soul. I'm the disconnected person. And then there will be others that will be in my shoes, in my boat, to where the suffering comes, the accumulative effect of lack of inward change has such an adverse impact uh, on relationships that, that things just fall apart. Life falls apart. And you'll hear this sometimes when people, they will say, well, I tried Christianity and Christianity didn't work. If you begin to explore that and, and tease out what they're really saying, they're, taught, they're externalist as well. They did all the external things. They started attending their local church meeting, heading down to the building uh, once a week or three times a week. For me, it was three times a week. And doing all those other things that I, I did, the Awana program to puppeteer and uh, going out on Tuesday night, uh, witnessing soul winning, we called it passing out tracks and knocking on doors and doing evangelism and inviting people to the church and singing in the choir and showing up on uh, days when you're improving the building and doing landscaping and so forth. I mean, I tried Christianity and I was in that same boat. It didn't work for me. If didn't work means that I wanted a different kind of life, but yet I haven't changed on the inside. Christianity does work when you do it the right way. And so sometimes you can have a level of self-awareness and humility and courage, and, and you can recognize that there's a disconnect between who you are internally and what you are uh, outwardly, and you can say, it's time for me to change. Other ways, other times, it can be the accumulative effect of, of living in this internal dysfunction that affects the relationships around you and other folks, uh, other situations around you. Maybe you get fired from your job because you're an angry Christian. Maybe you go through a divorce because you 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 create this type of chaos within your family dynamic. And, and I realize that it takes two to do that. And so I'm not putting the weight of all of that on your shoulders, but, but definitely you're culpable. And then you, your life just, it just goes bad quick. And then through that, God wakes you up and helps you to realize that uh, there was something about your Christianity that was missing. And so now, now it's time to address this. And this is what my student's doing. He is at that place where he is recognizing this, and that's why he sent in that, in that report. And I, I have been in that place as well. And then another way is just for the church to come alongside one another and to address these things. 
a, a Paul coming alongside a, a Timothy, a mature believer coming along, a babe in Christ, a baby in Christ, an infant in Christ, who a meat eater coming along, a, a milk coming alongside a milk drinker, and saying, "Hey, you're doing great." Thank you for being a part of this and Christianity. And let's go deeper. Let's go deeper. And they take them under their wings so that they don't have to experience the accumulative trauma of their own dysfunction that comes back and lands on them like a ton of bricks. But there's one more twist to this if this individual doesn't change. If they continue to maintain external modification, they will export that. They will pass that on to others because that's all that they know. This is how you get in that echo chamber of legalists. This is where you get into those self-affirming contacts because now everybody believes in doing the same thing. You see, if all you know is to change externally, then that is all that you can pass on to those around you. Specifically, I'm talking about family members. And so then you have this external behaviorist who lives this way in, let's say, innocent ignorance, and he's married to someone and his wife is a sinner, which is, by the way, the only option that you you get. And so he begins to press her to change. And of course, the way that he presses her to change is externally. You need to stop being angry. You need to stop nagging. You need to start this. You need to start that. Whatever. And it it begins to try to get her to modify to some version of of holiness, but it is really external only. And it's not sustainable. And she may even try to do these things because of pressure, manipulation, or maybe out of a sincere desire that she loves her husband that she wants to change. But she can't because everybody's doing it externally because nobody knows how to, again, identify idols of the heart and to begin to make those internal changes. And then you have children, and you rear your children up, and it's always about obedience. Stop that. Don't do that. Do this. You need to do this. You need to be this way. You need to read your Bible. You need to read 3.25 chapters every day. So you can read the Bible in a year. You need to pray every day. You need to let's all gather around the fireplace. Let's open up the Bible. Let's do our devotions. We've got to be at the church meeting. We never miss because this is what Christians do. And though those things are true, There's something missing, and so now you are exporting legalism, external modification to those who are around you, and it is just a, that is a cauldron of chaos, and eventually it's just going to bubble over. It's not exportable, and either it will fold in on yourself or it will collapse in around your your family. We can do better. The title of this um, episode is 305. It makes perfect sense why a person practices behavioral modification. How much better would it be if a, a dad knew how to lead himself, knew how to go back to the quote that how I started this podcast. I, I quoted an article, and again, that article is linked here in this in these show notes. But I said, our goal is to be steadily morphing into the person of Christ. The word morph is not referring to an outward appearance of Christ, but taking on the internal 
qualities of Christ, being transformed into Christ, is not so much a behavioral exercise as it is an inner change of the soul's primary shaping influence. How much better would it be if that's what we did to ourselves, changed internally, and then exported that to our spouses, to our children, and to our friends? Therefore, you have a child that you want to lead in the way of Christ. And so you help this child to identify the idolatries of the heart. And you do that in a spirit of encouragement, not demanding. You do it with grace and and patience as you walk them through over a period through a season of change, helping them to be able to have clarity of what's going on inside them and to be able to apply the Bible to themselves internally in in practical and transformative ways. How much better would that be than just saying, you need to obey. These are the things that we do. Now, for those of you that want to do a deeper dive in identifying the idolatries of the heart, I have linked here a one hour webinar where I carefully walk through how to do that. And if you are serious about learning how to identify, to bring clarity to what is going on inside of you, then I appeal to you to watch this webinar. It will It is a transformative uh, a resource, and it's right here, and it's free, and you're welcome to watch it. If you have questions and want to talk to us, please let us know. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.